Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. And I'm here today with Tony Haggerty. Things have settled down a wee bit, Tony. It's been a rather hectic and enjoyable day. We've had guests in the studio, fellow podcasters of a Celtic persuasion. We've had guests dialing in. We've had pre-arranged, pre-recorded material that we've uploaded onto our channels. And all along that, there's a thread. And the thread is that we're raising money for the birthplace of Celtic, who are in dire need of our assistance. Um, why that wasn't kind of public knowledge is probably due to the fact, I think, Tony, that there's a, a great pride 
uh, where a lot of people where they don't want to make it public because they think they'll deal with it, and that's fine. Um, so St Mary's, the birthplace of Celtic, we know the fairy tale. I spoke to Tony Curran, it was on the interview earlier on today. Celtic's story is like a fairy tale. The words were uttered by Billy McNeil. Yeah. There's a fairy tale element about this club. Uh, I fell in love with Celtic. Um, I would say Celtic are an omnipresence in my life. They're always there. right? So when you think of things like when you're growing up, your point of reference where, whereby, you know, when I was growing up, somebody like George Michael or Madonna or Michael Jackson were always just there. You mentioned Elton John earlier. They were always just there. They're always on top of the pops and they existed. They were omnipresent. And Adam and the Ants, of course, which was my first record. And, and Celtic were omnipresent. And I remember as a young kid, never having decided I'm going to be a Celtic fan. It was basically, it was part of your, your weekly ritual that your dad, in my dad's case, he was a minor, worked in the pits and he worked all week Tony, and at the weekend, he went to the Celtic game, and that was it. I mean, there was no argument. That's what happened. Home and away. It's only now, you know, looking back, how I appreciate the travelling he did as well. I'm looking at some of these tickets that make up um, the collage uh, behind the Axon screens, and he was at so many games, you know, European games, the Rapid Vienna fiasco, and going down to Old Trafford, and Nottingham Forest, and he used to follow Scotland as well. But I always remember, and I have told this story a couple of times, but it is my, my kind of earliest Celtic memory, whereby there was a buzz about the place, uh, to <laughs> coin a phrase, uh, in, in our house. And at that time, uh, and I know it was the early 80s because my wee sister was a baby. She was born in 82, so I, I know it's 82, 83, right? And my dad is getting ready to go to the football. And you know that He's going to, it's the weekend because you're not at school or nursery or whatever. And as I say, there's a, there's a atmosphere. I'm not going to say attention, but there's a, it's palpable. Something's happening, right? And that's something is that your old man's getting ready to go to the game. A busload of people are going to come and pick him up. And that busload, I'm talking cousins, uncles, friends, etc., all coming to pick him up. And this is like guys from the West Five Villages, Oakley, Blair Hall, High Valley Field, that kind of yeah. demographic. Um, that That's the kind of um, the crew, the squad that would be going where my old man. And then my dad would go. And I mean, it was no like the 50s and 60s where guys would go with their suits and their overcoats and their hats and all that. But they got ready to go to the game, right? And obviously spent all morning getting ready to get picked up. But it was double denim and Adidas Sambas, mate. That that was that was a uniform, right? But the old Celtic bar scarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Which basically, you know, lasted forever. It was the scarf that, you know, well, it, had like patches, Celtic ace of clubs and all that oh, kind of stuff. All right? that, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. There was all on the patches and badges, there was always Celtic okay. Yeah, Celtic okay. <laughs> that was yeah, a statement, yeah, eh? yeah, yeah. And then there was ten men winning the league and feed yeah. the bear and all this kind of stuff. Uh, European Cup ones and all that. And uh, it was a big occasion. Every single time it came, it was a big occasion. And then obviously he would disappear and sometimes you would look at the living room window and the, the vehicle comes up. And I'm talking a motley crew, Tony. <laughs> An absolute motley crew. And I know for a fact that at least one of them listens and watches 
listens to and watches this show because it's the guy that took me to my first game, Munkle Chick. Um, and I always tell that story, obviously, about, you know, first-born child's called Kenny after Dalgleish. Then you've got Danny, Danny McGrain. What are you going to call the girl? Or Claire after Brian McClare. So, you know, <laughs> steeped in Celtic, absolutely steeped. But you didn't really know okay. where they're going, what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And then your dad, who goes away like a wee shiny penny, comes back several hours later in a kind of like different state, you know, because, and there's this, there's a smell yeah. and it's a combination of tobacco, cigarette smoke, bevy, Wrigley's chewing gum to try and hide it as if a packet of that's going to hide the fact that you're half cut, you know, and he would come back and I always remember it was like this routine in the inside pocket of the denim jacket came a programme which was then put on a, a round glass table sat in our living room area um, and that wasn't for me actually because one of my big cousins collected programmes at the time but I always remember like looking at it and seeing the crest and all the rest of it but we were kind of like waiting on him coming back and the dinner was getting made and the scores were coming through the results were coming through 82 so we would have had four channels back then eh? channel 4 was launched channel in 82 wasn't it? 82, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, I always remember the buzzer in Charlie Nicholas about that time as well yeah. I do remember that, you know, Charlie scoring and hat tricks and all that. And there was just, it didn't matter that he'd been away with his mates and probably couldn't remember much of the action. <laughs> and But it was a release because of the working, that's what football was at that time, Tony. It was a release for the working class. Yeah. And let's say the working class man, because I mean, that that in itself yeah. was mainly a, a kind of male-orientated endeavour at the weekend. And the mothers like my mum would be watching the four kids. And that for me was my ambition. I want to be like my old man. I want to go to these Celtic games and drink beer and smoke cigarettes and all that. You know, <laughs> that was my ambition. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I annoyed him, the football bit, no, the fags and the drink. I annoyed him for years to go. Uh, but of course, with the, the minor strike and then my dad having to find work elsewhere and having to work abroad and all that, there was a period of time where we, there was just, it wasn't possible to go and watch Celtic geographically or, or, you know, financially or whatever. Um, and it was only in 1987 that I started going. So at that point, I'm eight years of age. And uh, Bill he was a manager. So when we talk about the fairy tale, you know, that's that that's intrinsically linked to me falling in love with Celtic in the centenary, having had this omnipresent uh, kind of like impression on me since your dot. Kevin Graham talks about being a romantic. Every Celtic supporter's a romantic. They're seduced by the badge, they're seduced by the colours, they're seduced by the history, which is handed down from generation to generation. Matt, I decided to be a Celtic supporter when my dad took me to Shawfield to watch Craig Brown's Clyde, 1976-77, and Clyde Shawfield Stadium, was close proximity to Celtic Park. I wrote it in the book and we used to have a ritual. He'd give him a pocket money. We'd go to East Cobrick Town Centre. I'd buy a matchbox car, a dinky car, corgi car, right? And I'd be... And that's that's remained with you as well, the love of the yeah. corgi. And the, the, running them along the wooden stands because Craig Brown's team didn't exactly pack them in. And I'm watching the game and my dad would say to me, you know, and I'd run the car along and say, you're not watching the, the football? And I'm saying... Do you think Kenny Douglas has scored for Celtic? Do you think Celtic are winning, Dad? Then you'd hear a roar coming from Parkhead. 
And I remember being at a particular Clyde game. We were there for the first half. The second half, we were at Celtic Park. And I said it, and the book is afraid to say it was like going from watching football on a black and white portable TV to glorious Technicolor. And when I sat down at Celtic Park, which I always sat in the main stand, when I was a kid, so I'd be seen 76, 77, so I'd be four or five. And I just knew, you just knew you were home. And it was like that pivotal moment, that kind of romantic moment that that you have with your dad as a father-son thing. My brother was there with us as well, so the three of us would, and he just kind of looked as if, yeah. And in that moment, you get your dad saying, I've done my job. They will grow up Celtic fans, and you're just sitting there. You're, you, for me, the biggest thing, biggest thrill for me was to be in the same building as Kenny Douglas. King Kenny, just absolutely mesmerised by the football that Kenny Douglas was in. As I say, I got the tail end of that 76-77 season and he leaves. And I, I didn't think it was possible for your heart to be broken over a game of football, but I was crestfallen. And my dad says to me that he never understood the adage of one man doesn't make a team, but it did because in the season that followed. So I think Rangers won the treble, 78, Joe Wilson. You know, and then obviously, but it was Nick Hornby that said in Fever Pitch, for every football supporter, your life's not defined in years, it's defined in seasons. See, when your football club is, enters your skin and gets under your skin, you you can pick moments, you can pick a year of your Celtic supporting life and you will pick out any game or any particular high or moment that you shared with your dad, your granddad, your cousins, your uncles, your friends. You can pick any season. And for me, it's from 76 onwards. Throw me a number and I'll tell you about a game because it's it's ingrained in you. It's now, you talk about that, that's your foundation. Going back to St Mary's, the foundation of the club. Yep. But it's your foundation of being a Celtic supporter. I, you know, it's I've said before, it's, it's kind of indescribable. Every person, every Celtic fan would describe it differently. But there's there's no feeling like it for every Celtic fan. Other clubs can say the same thing. I can't speak for other clubs because I don't support other clubs. And I've also written in the book that you can only support one football club. You can only support one football club. I agree. To say you support another club, it's, it's, it's a tantamount to football criminality. You can like other football clubs. Yes. You can have an affinity for yep. whatever reason. I like St Mirren because they were the first club I covered as a journalist, as a working journalist. But I don't get upset if they get beat. I just have a funds for them because... That's the difference. Right? Yep. I like everybody loved Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, but did they cry when they lost? don't think so. You know, see when your team... We, you have your team is your team, whether it be Celtic, whether it be Albion Rovers, Cowden Beath, it doesn't matter. See, once you're chosen your team, that's it. It's your badge of honour, it's your flag, it's your scarf, it's your patches, it's your tablets, macaroon, chewing gum, the chews, you know, it's your hat, scarf, badges, and tapes. These are all, it's your memories, and it's for you, it's 87 onwards, for me, it's 76 onwards. Uh, well, 76, 77, kind of, and, and we move from there, you know, and you pick out, you see that, that collage 
of tickets. I'm always drawn to the Nottingham Forest one, mm. you know, and, I, and I, I can picture that vividly. I remember everything about it, home and away, you know, and it's just, it's like there are roller decks in your mind, or as I prefer to say, those of an older generation, they are Polaroids in your mind where you push a button in your brain and out pops the photograph. You can visualise it. You can verbalise it. Somebody says to you, City Ground 83, talk about it. Rapid Vienna 84. For you, it's any game in the centenary season. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yep. Joe Miller's Tanadive's goal in the last minute to win 2-1 in Boxing Day 87. I never saw the ball strike the net because there was such a big surge. Chris Morris crossed it. The rest is in the ether and it's never been shown on TV because I've never seen it. But I do not hurt the net because all the fans went bananas. And, uh, you know, things like that. But I can visualise that. I can vision the cross coming over and then it's like it's like the telly going blank. <laughs> it's just like, and then all of a sudden, bedlam. Yeah. Like that centenary team where... Notorious for scoring late goals. Oh, I know. I know. And talk about that that fairy tale. And today's part of that fairy tale about St Mary's. It is. Keep that fairy tale going. I said a few words earlier, which I put onto the group chat. And you felt some. You felt different about today's charity weekender. There was a a motivation, a real will within you as a Celtic supporter to raise as much money for this, for that fairy tale element. And for what Tommy Byrne said was a commitment and a cause. You felt that today. Your heart kind of swelled with pride, actually, about that, that you are playing a small part in doing something good for a commitment and a cause. And it, that's why I say it strikes a chord with every Celtic supporter. It, it, it should and it would and it does. And that's uh, you know, the testament to that is the money that's been raised so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, see, I, I look back on the fundraiser last year, Tony, and the four charities that benefited from it. And we felt that mental health uh, had to, you know, a, a mental health charity had to benefit from it. Um, and it did. And that was, uh, you know, brought even more to the forefront during the pandemic because yeah. a lot of people um, suffered um, even more because, you know, often it's a daily struggle in any case, but then you take away a lot of the, the coping mechanisms during a pandemic and uh, it becomes even more difficult for them. And then we had uh, Children's First, so we're looking at, you know, vulnerable kids um, who might wake up on Christmas morning with no presents under the tree. So that that was important. The homeless charity, and I know, you know, homelessness is something close to your heart, Tony. Um, so there was absolutely, you know, no way that that we could possibly do something and not yeah. uh, give funds uh, to the homeless as well. And I just think the the last one at this stage uh, last year was the food bank. Um, and again, it's something that it should never be normal. The food banks are now part of day to day life, and it should never be like that. Um, and I th- I just think that's a measure of the the people who are in charge uh, of the country that have allowed that situation to develop to that point. But this year, um, I just think the worlds have aligned to a degree. So the passing of an absolute great in Bertie Old. And I've got to say that uh, some of the items we have for auction are Bertie Old items. So we do have a number 
Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Of signed jerseys and uh, canvases that have been signed by Bertie and will be given them um, as part of the, the auction, we'll be putting them in so that people can meet, raise even more funds following the weekend. And they were given to us, gifted to us by the penalty spot, Kevin Tate at Sword Street in Glasgow, who simply wanted to help, just wanted to help the cause, you know, a people in a cause. That's that's what, you know, that's what you were saying earlier on, Tony. Um, and I think that this year, Bertie's funeral, Bertie was not of the Catholic faith, but it happened at St Mary's. And I think that when you speak to the canon down there and he explains that that kind of thing might be an issue when you look at the politics within the Catholic Church. He didn't care. It was happening and that was it. It was going to happen because that was the right thing to do and that's what Bertie wanted, right? So the only thing that, that Bertie wasn't a Catholic was, and you know, because he had the faith. He had the faith, Tony. He just wasn't a Catholic. But that didn't matter. And it went ahead and it brought it back to light and it brought it back to the forefront in my mind and other Celtic fans' minds that, you know, this is a place that we cannot forget. We, we cannot forget this this place and, you know, the heart of Celtic's history. Um, and I brought up and I've left it deliberately on the screen a, a comment from McGrory. Now, McGrory has been involved in commenting on a Celtic state of mind over the last 12 months plus. So thank you for your ongoing support. Um, and he says uh, via YouTube, instead of these great fundraisers, Celtic should pledge to always upkeep our birthplace. Tell us your thoughts in the comments section about that. If there's anything else you want to discuss or any questions you want to ask Tony and I, then please do so because, uh, you know, we are here to talk football, to talk Celtic, traditions, history, memories, heritage. And uh, it's when I'm at my happiest, you know, chatting away about Celtic. It's strange because it becomes an obsession. It keeps up on you without even realising. Um, you know, it's a temptress. You know what I mean? It it, uh, it trips you up when you least expect it, you know, but it raises you to extra extraordinary heights that, that uh, few things can raise you to. There was a thing there you were talking about, that moment before 
the rapturous applause, there is a moment it goes quiet for a millisecond and then yeah. it explodes. Yeah. And when I think back to like my dad and his generation of guys going, they had proper difficult uh, jobs, yeah, Tony. Yeah. I mean, the conditions that, and I've, I've, I never ever went. I know that there used to be open days, but I was never really interested in going. I never went to a pit. But I've been to the Mining Museum in Newton Grange and just to get an insight of the conditions, Tony. The conditions that these guys were working in. 12 hour shifts up to their neck and water. And because my dad was a me uh, mechanical engineer and he, he, you know, a lot of it was pumping water out of pits because it was floods. And you know, then coming home and, and having to scrub the suit out of your hair and everything else. So that weekend was your release. And the drudgery of day to day life back then. It's quite depressing to look back, you know. It's quite dark and dingy, the, the lifestyles that these people led, Tony. So the football, in that moment we spoke about, that second just before the rapturous applause, that emotion, they probably didn't get that at any other point or anywhere else in their lives. Nah. That was the escapism, wasn't it? Of course it was escapism, and that's, the, that's what every romantic thought entered their head. But the football team and their wishes for the club and you know and, and the fact that they had they had a vehicle, i.e. Celtic, I said earlier to have that primal scream, that that sense of belonging, you be belong to something big, something that mattered, something that you cared deeply and passionately about. No other thing in a lot of Celtic supporters' existence cuts them like a knife, like Celtic does. You know, and I'm talking about relationships as well, you know, and I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, it, it's, you said there, it, it, it's a constant. Once that, once you decide Celtic is your team, it's a constant. And that's why, you know, you talk about Bertie Old, and I said it on the pod the other day, you you saw guys like Bertie Old. You, you see the lines as the the eternal flame, don't you? It, it, it never goes out. You know, you spoke earlier. You said Jock Steen built Celtic into the entity that they've become. That football team, that band of men. I never saw that team I, through the job that I do and the privileged position that being a football journalist uh, allows. I got to become friends with them. These were guys that my dad watched, hero worshipped. You know, they, I, I've told the story before about and introducing them to Bobby Murder, Bertie Old and Jimmy Johnston and and having that emotional moment myself, thinking, you know, if I, if I do nothing else in my career, you know, I, I did that, had that moment. And, you know, things like that make, make, you, make you well up because it's about your love for the football club and personalities that play for that football club and and just what it means to you as a person. You know, you, you invest so much of your time and emotion in Celtic Football Club. You know, you can try and deny that, but you do. And, and if you're lucky to be with a partner, you just hope that they understand that. Because it will drive you around the twist. It could it drive you know drive you to distraction, moments of real highs, joy, despair. Call it what you like, but it, it's just your 
investment in football as a game altogether. But when you like football, you have to choose a team. You know, people say you don't choose Celtic. Celtic chooses you. Maybe so. But once that choice is made, that there is no going back from that and you're in through thick and thin. And mostly all or nearly all of your memories, my mind personally, involve football and involve Celtic. You know, and it's, it could be a one-dimensional life. And I watch it right now. I'm married to a partner called Caroline and I love her to bits. And thankfully she gets my devotion, obsession with football and Celtic. And I'm lucky to have that. And, I, and I'm lucky to do what I do. I shared a few stories earlier as well. I'm quite kind of self-deprecated about it all too because I'm not I'm not writing Pulitzer Prize winning stuff. I am in my head, you know, but uh, I, you know, I, I, I treat it with the reverence and respect it deserves because I know a lot of people would like to swap positions. You talk about your father and my father with a daily drudgery. I'm very aware of that and I, I'm one of those fortunate people in life who's doing something that he loves, absolutely adores, talking about the club that he loves and adores. And I just hope that when I write, that comes through in my writing. Hope when I speak, it comes through in my my speech when I talk about, you know, Celtic Football Club and I I you know and it's it's an emotional thing. Days like today I say that's it does get you, it grips you emotionally mm -hmm. because you know that the money you help raise is going to something that you care so much about. You you question why it should be allowed to get into to get to this particular point. You know, but I I said earlier this will ensure that St Mary's never becomes a paradise lost. It will never become a paradise lost as long as our Celtic supporters like yourself, myself, all the podcasters and all the people that have donated to to the, the charity weekend of today. They, they will not allow that to happen. You can call them, and you used a word, probably the roots of all of them or nearly all of them will be in working class, I would have thought. See, the thing, Tony, right? You and I are talking about it, you know, similarly. And there's so many people with a similar tale where Celtic was there and it was always there. You know, just like Tommy Burns said that we were there and we're always there. Celtic's always there for us. You know, it's not something that you pick up whenever you fancy. It's always, it's constantly there. But we spoke in the last show when uh, Declan McConville was involved in the chat and we spoke about people who had chosen Celtic. You know, we talk about the, the, the guys of high profile, the artists of high profile, yeah. like uh, Bob Marley, for example. Um, he chose Celtic. There was a reason he chose Celtic. And I think a big uh, part of that, and we spoke about, you know, the the you know the trio of Brother Walfred and, uh, you know, Jock Steen and, and Fergus McCann and what they did for the club. Um, and you look at what Steen did for Celtic, he made the club renowned. You look at the success or lack of uh, success prior to, in the years leading to rather, Jock Steen taking over as a manager. And I know we had great sides in the past, the six in a row team. Uh, very few people 
in the comment section and it doesn't I'm not besmirching any Celtic fans knowledge but very few of them could tell me who the six in a row team were very few of them could tell me uh, the years of the six in a row league and, and that by the way that's just because it was so long ago yeah. you go through um, you know the 1940s the 1950s and the lack of success that Celtic had fleeting successes like a 7-1 cup win over Rangers a coronation cup win a double in 53-54 but we had gone eight years with no trophies when Jockstein won his first trophy as Celtic's manager in 1965. Then it was a period of utter dominance, but not just in Scotland. We became a European superpower. And people think, uh, or they often look at that European Cup win, and I, I say people, I'm talking about the uninitiated. I'm talking about the ones who look down their nose at Scottish football then and now. It wasn't an anomaly because, and I've said this a a few times on the podcast, you look at the 12, 12 years from 1964, that was Priestine, to 1976. And in nine of those seasons, in nine out of those 12 seasons, Tony, Celtic reached at least the quarterfinal <coughs> stage of European competition. Nine times. Yeah. Nine out of 12. Now, if a team was to do that just now, they would be a European superpower. They'd be yeah. buying players for £100 million on a whim. And Jock Steen did it with a philosophy that, as we spoke about before, unlocked the Catanaccio, which is the doorbolt, the ultra-defensive Italian system that was played. And I love, again, this is the romantic in us, and it's something Declan spoke about a few weeks ago. I love the fact that you bring it right up to the Ange Postacoglu era where he's talking about his dad and his dad's disdain for Italian football and how boring it was and defensive. And and then you look at the Hungarian influence on Ange Postacoglu with Ferenc uh, Puskas. And, and then you look at the Hungarian influence on Jockstein. Listen, I'm not trying to compare the two guys as managers. Ange Postacoglu is a few months in a job. But I'm talking about the influence and how they've built their football and philosophies. Yeah. And Steen did that. And, he, he, you know, one of his prized possessions, and, and this was uh, written about in Archie McPherson's absolutely tremendous biography of the man, was a film of the Hungarian team dismantling England. And he watched it and watched it, and he was creating systems on his own mind as to how did the Hungarians do that? Was that at Wembley or over there? Because they won 6-8 Wembley, then beat them 7-1 in Hungary. It was it was the Wembley. Yeah. It was the Wembley so game. The, the Wembley one was shown and would be shown on TV, yeah. <laughs> and Jockstein nailed it, right? You talk that's that's when the fairy tale element kicks in, right? But Steen nailed it because the proudest that Jockstein was about that whole year and about Lisbon was the comment that he made, we did it playing pure, beautiful, inventive football. That pleased him more than anything. Celtic did that. Right. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. What Celtic, the game and the philosophy and the style that Celtic played in Lisbon was the precursor to total football. Because who was the next kind of... The next wave. The next wave was Dutch football. Yep. Dutch football took <coughs> Steen's dismantling of Inter Milan and moved it on a bit with the whole concept for total football. You could argue that that uh, Lisbon performance was total football in all but name. But as you say, Steen studied that. <coughs> Excuse me. 
I think they also studied Real Madrid's dismantling of Eintracht Frankfurt in 1960 at Hamden. No games like that where you could attack, score goals, entertain. You know, you, you look at the Lisbon final, it's it's, a, it's the most one-sided 2-1 doing you've ever seen in your puff. You know, but so, and it's no surprise that Andy's influenced Papuskas because if you've ever watched that footage of the 1960 Real Madrid-Eintracht Frankfurt game, Puskas and Di Stefano destroy Eintracht Frankfurt who had destroyed Rangers in the semi-final, a right good Rangers team. And, uh, you know, so these were people who wanted to entertain, score goals, do what football's all about. Italians were pretty anti-football, but were effective at it, mm-hmm. you know. And and it was a it was a real watershed moment in, in kind of foot, football terms, Celtic beating Inter Milan, uh, like Celtic not being a European superpower. You had Benfica before that, and you had Real Madrid playing that way, who dominated the first five, you know, uh, with that brilliant team with uh, Del Sol, Santa Maria, uh, Di Stefano Puskas, all these guys, you know. But when Celtic came along, it, it, the problem with these these teams is that they suffer from a lack of audience because nobody really got to see it. Mm-hmm. And then when Celtic came along, the BBC World Service showed it and Scottish Television showed it. So it was been to a large audience. So this was kind of a monumental football match in a lot of people's lives. And and then when they found out Celtic spin the globe, they're from that wee tiny corner of the globe. And they're like, nah. And then you narrow that down and say, well, actually, all the players came from that specific radius. And it was Mac Vanny that coined the phrase, they won the European Cup with a Glasgow District 11. Right? You talk about fairy tales, I know. romantics. I said the other week, you know, guys that had spun round clothes poles, had jumped across spins, you know, played with spherical objects, not necessarily footballs and housing schemes, you know, just anything that they could roll into a ball shape, had done a number on the catwalk kings of Europe, European football sophisticates. That is an achievement is romantic in itself. It's it's immeasurable. And I talk about a team that I've never seen in my life. I say I've privileged to meet some of the players latterly in my life and and I love that. I could listen to them all day. My my dad will say to my dad, you were spoiled, you you grew up, saw that team. Your dad will have seen that team, you know. And that made them that made uh, every working class man that went to football and Celtic supporter it's the proudest achievement ever. It's still the proudest achievement ever. It's still the beginning of the fairy tale. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 
But see, talking about achievement and fairy tale, and then you merge that into the drudgery and, you know, the societal problems that existed to the working classes at that time. Tony, it's the perfect combination. Of course. Because when you're at the game and you have that unbridled joy and you probably behave in a way in the stadium, and I don't mean disobedient and badly and getting in trouble, you probably behave in a way that, you know, you're not able to behave like that because you've got a wife and a family to feed mm. and you've got a job to go to and et cetera. But then you go into this football stadium, this cauldron or, or this theatre, uh, and when, you know, you've got this uh, community of people, you know, with a common goal. Standing with you. Standing with you. And I always remember that. And this is something, again, that, you know, I think about me going to the game for the first time, 1987, Tommy Burns' testimonial against Liverpool. And it was only 20 years after. It was only 20 years after Celtic won the European Cup. And I sometimes think back to, right, what was happening 20 years ago just now? Well, Martin O'Neill was in charge. He came in and he won a treble. And that that frightens me a bit because that my point of reference to the O'Neill years, I remember all the games, every single game. But I look at the centenary year in Lisbon as being two different ages. Lisbon's a million years before the centenary season, in my mind, Tony, because I wasn't born when we were in Lisbon. You know what I mean? So my point of reference, it's a wee bit skewed when I'm looking down the history there. Um, And I I look at Celtic. um, For me, I am disappointed when we lose. And And it does affect you on an emotional level. And that's why I agree with you that we could never support another team. You can admire certain aspects of football teams. And I think that's why there is this kind of joint respect, if you like, between Celtic fans and fans of St. Pauli. When you look at the makeup and the culture uh, and the politics uh, of the fan base and the ultras over there. And I think they've played a big part in shaping um, the look and the sound of the Green Brigade. You know, I remember going to uh, St. Pauli. I was, I, I decided I, I was intoxicated by the whole story, the whole ultras thing. I thought it was unbelievable. And I was trying to do some research through the, you know, the links that Celtic fans had with the St. Pauli fans, late 80s, early 90s. Why would a group of Celtic fans watching Celtic in Germany end up down at the Reaper Ban? I have no idea, but they did. And then they come across this this pub called the Jolly Roger. Um, and, you know, the, 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 this is a punk football team, Tony. It really is. I mean, you've just got to look at somebody like Richard Jobson, uh, front man of the Skids, fellow Pfeiffer, uh, on stage. He's an old punk. And he's wearing the St. Pauli t-shirt. It's the archetypal punk t-shirt, you know, the skull and crossbones. Um, and I've totally fell in love with that whole idea. So I started researching it and going over there and um, never ever got around to writing the book as it happens. But the research <laughs> was good fun. The research was good fun. But I was tra- I was retracing the steps of Celtic fans that had gone before me. I wasn't the guy that came up with the idea, Tony, that this was a club that I would you know, undoubtedly have an infinity way. The reason I knew about it is because I read it in the pages and not the view. And then I started going to the games and I could hear these chants but there were chants that Celtic had nabbed from St. Pauli. And it grew and it grew and the myth grew and the mythology grew to the point where I'm like, I need to go and see and feel and hear this for myself. Um, so there are clubs out there, but I guess it's a long-winded way of me asking you the question. Like, So we never chose our football club. 
People like Bob Marley did, and he chose Ooh. Celtic. Uh, people like Roger Waters watches the um, display for uh, Palestine that the Green Brigade put on, and he falls in love with that, the ethos of the Celtic support to such a degree that he tours the world with that as his backdrop. You know, these people choose Celtic. And I think that if you were to land in Scotland for any reason, like, you know, what I was saying earlier with my old man working all over Europe, if that was the case and you ended up by default in Scotland, you would choose Celtic. If it was a choice, you would choose that. <laughs> if you had no knowledge of Scottish football, you said, right, give me the big book. Let's have a wee read of the history. Yeah, I, I think if you, <laughs> you like to think that most people would choose Celtic, Again, the you know Barcelona motto, more than a club, and all that, and you're finding that out today. You know, it's there's just something about Celtic that you it's inexplicable, but it's even more inexplicable to outsiders who choose Celtic as to why they do it. But they have their reasons. So as you say, if they research it. They fall in love with the fairy tale. They fall in love with the backstory, the back catalogue, the history. If you're of a certain age, you will remember certain things in Celtic's history, like winning the European Cup, like you know uh, the centenary team, you know the Martin O'Neill team, you know to bring it right up to or as close to date, up to date as possible. You know, that kind of reference points. Yep. You know, so they'll have a reason. Guys like Bob Marley, you know, you, you 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 shake your head, don't you, in disbelief, and you, you just think that's wonderful, you know, and you just think you know, you're the the album legend, and you do think you're a legend, and you you supported Celtic, mm-hmm. you came from Jamaica. I mean, it's just like it, it, you can't square the circle on that, and you probably don't want to, because in your mind you just think, you know what, it's great. You know, you get latterly fans we spoke of here, like Snoop Dogg or Snoop Lion, as they say, coming out and saying they would they would invest in Celtic. You know, but you see, so so someone somewhere along the line has said to him, "You want to support them," or or he's researched it, like you researched Sam Pauli, and all of a sudden, yep, my allegiance is there. And it's more often than not the case that. You know, famous people, celebrities, call them what you will. They come down on the side of Celtic. That's that's no coincidence, is it? No, no. You, know? you just know Martin Scorsese is a Celtic fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for commenting. I think what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate some, times, uh, some time here for the next half hour. You're pulling some comments up, yeah. Tony, because, I mean, when you think about it, these are the people who are supporting Axon every day you know, every day, yeah. and also they're supporting the fundraiser by putting their hands in their pockets. And I always work from the premise of, <coughs> you know, a lot giving a little. You know, if everybody gives a little, that that's basically where we go. But we've had some unbelievable amounts uh, being donated as well, which is just frightening. It's humbling. It's humbling. It's humbling. So it's just humbling to be a part of it all, to be honest. It is. It is. Now, the last time uh, we were on, you, myself, and Declan, we smashed through the 16 grand barrier, I think. We're up at 16,520. So it's actually looking like we might get to about 17,000. Even saying that, 17 grand. Um, might, might happen by the end of the night. We've got one more show after 
Tony and I finish up here. And uh, it's the Unrestricted View, which is a Celtic podcast that is fairly new. Uh, so really, uh, you've had quite a lot of established pods on and it's important to introduce you to some of the new um, boys on the block and they certainly are that. So I'm looking forward to hearing from them. But I want to pull some of your comments in so let's have a wee look at some of them. And uh, McGrory again, I mean, here you go. There's a double for you, McGrory. And in your case, it was Greenock Shipyards, then Paradise. There's so many stories like that. Shipyards and dockyards and pits. And, you know, it, it would have been like a shining light at the end of your week, Tony. I mean, you imagine that. Uh, those kinds of work. But as well as the work, and I still talk to my dad about it, uh, thankfully. Um, I still got my parents and I, I still talk to my old man about it and I ask him how on earth were you able to put up with the I mean the manual labour for a kickoff because you know I think I got a paper cut once which was tragic but I mean manual labour Tony <laughs> I mean when you look at some of these guys and my entire family all worked in the pits simple as that you can trace my family right back to coming over from Ireland and it was all pit workers you know there, there was certainly no money in my, in my family right down the line and um, but the manual labour was hard enough yeah. but the working conditions and the environment and the hours were horrendous and what got them through it was the camaraderie of their, work, their workmates and, and that's where you get the pattern and the humour isn't it? Of course and that's where the team ethos comes from mm-hmm. you know you're part of a team and yeah you know you, you, you talk to people about things like that the daily drudgery the the you know, the, the hardship and in some cases poverty as well, a lot of cases, you know, and this is recent history. This is not something from a bygone age, you know, and and it's, uh, it's hard to communicate that, isn't it? I mean, my father grew up in uh, Pollock, you know, and he, he didn't have a lot, but he worked hard all his life. He was in the same job for... 44, 45 years, uh, and he nurtured that family spirit, you know, which, and I'm lucky to still have my parents, and, you know, and every now and again he'll talk to me about his childhood, and I just can't comprehend a lot of the things he says. My mother will talk to me about her childhood growing up in Castle Milk, and I, I unfortunately lost my grand in 1983, but the, for those few years, that I remember going to the flat in Castlemill every weekend. You know, they're they're joyous to me. You know, and, and all of them linked with Celtic because I was allowed to stay up late to watch Celtic. You know, after Starsky and Hutch when it was on the BBC, and then on a Sunday, I would interrupt the high chaparral because Scott Sport was coming on and cause absolute mayhem and uproar in my grand's flat. But I wouldn't care. I had to see Celtic. You know, and even better if it was a game where they'd beaten Rangers and you were getting those highlights and stuff, you know. And, you know, but that 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 whole working class upbringing, you know, where you had like kitchen, a living room, a toilet, one stroke, maybe two bedrooms, that kind of thing, you know. And life was hard and it was tough. Football was that light at the end of the tunnel. It was, you say, that, that release and it gave you, it gave, working class people so much joy it, just to get that release into you see the the actual rituals that were involved you know you met your pals you went or your family you went to the pub you went to the game somebody's driving yeah, get a vehicle that whole thing you went in a bus it, it, yeah. it was ritualistic it was tribalistic 
you know, you sang And the then songs. the songs, but you yeah. think about ritualistic, tribalistic. You think about community. You think about you the know. singing of songs within communities. You go to the chapel and sing the songs. I remember during the minor strike, the songs. That's yeah. what I remember during, you know. And, and all through it, what, what goes through your mind? Dreams and songs to sing. Yep. Right? That's... You know, that's 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 carved in every Celtic supporter's heart. Dreams and songs to sing, new dreams, new songs. You know, just they, they are the eternal optimists, romantics. You know, you you think the best of situations, you think the best of people, because that's just the way you are. You you do unto others all that kind of ethos that's in you, you, you know. Something like this, you're going to raise funds for the Celtics' birthplace. Yeah, let's do it because it's in you, it's in your DNA. It's it, it, it doesn't have to be explained if you get what I mean. Because mm-hmm. it's because you know that you know you have grown up feeling like that. That's that's the way you are as a Celtic supporter. I would go as far as say you're a charitable person by nature because you see you've had it from growing up. And if you're religious, going into chapel, singing your songs, have your dreams, but that charitable element to that as well, raising funds, doing doing whatever, you know. So it's it's. I always I also I, I kind of think that it's a kind of byproduct of being a Celtic supporter that you like that. Mm-hmm. That's why you speak to a lot of Celtic supporters, and they have. Charitable issues close to their heart. You mentioned a few of them, mental health, you know, making sure kids don't have, sorry, kids have a toy at Christmas, homelessness, which is my big one, you know, and then you, you touched upon food banks. These are things we're talking about in 2021. Yep. All these things were prevalent in 1887. More prevalent in 1887. Poverty. Right. Poverty. Poverty. Yeah, right. You could actually be talking about 1887 in the present day and the more things change, the more they stay the same, as they say, and that's what gets to me and I think that's what gets to a lot of people that, you know, we're doing something. You want to be a force for for change. You want to be a force for positivity. I mean, the very foundation, to use that word, which is ironic, the very foundation of Celtic was due to the fact that 40 years after the Irish diaspora came over, during the famine time, things hadn't got better for them. They were oppressed, you know, and through prejudice within this country, um, you know, we, we faced a, an issue of no dogs, no blacks, no Irish. That that was the attitude still prevalent 40 years after the Great Hunger. We're not talking about 40 years, Tony. The poverty still exists yeah. that we were talking about. The poverty where we had to furnish the dinner tables of the three parishes at that time in 1887, that poverty still exists. Their kids going to bed hungry yeah. in 2021, going on 2022. And the very fact that um, <laughs> you were talking about romanticism, I already had a, a comment up from Cormac Ryan, up the dubs indeed. If you can't have romance in football, what's the point? There's a man after Kevin Graham's heart. And my own heart. Football, I've always said, it's for the romantics. It's for the dreamers. Football's a, a game of dreams. Mm-hmm. Always will be. Dreams and songs to sing to. You, know, it's, uh, you don't have dreams in football, as Cormac says, then. There's, there's no point. 
Right. Why does Ask Danny Boy 68 a chapel need money? See, I, I think it's important to bring this up. Um, does the Vatican not look after it? I think prior to this week, I always had an understanding of the fact, and I spoke to you this morning about this, Tony. I was an altar boy, Sacred Heart, Pennycook, and I always knew getting that wee uh, glimpse behind the curtain, as it were, that these people didn't have much in the way of luxuries. I'm talking about priests. They didn't. They didn't. They were, I always felt that, you know, they were they were basically, um, they were on a mission. Uh, you know, th- this was a vacation. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about possessions. It wasn't about materialistic things. And they had very little in terms of that. And I, I realised that much back then when I was a kid. But to realise this week <coughs> or last week that, you know, the living quarters of a priest down at St. Mary's are so cold that you can almost see the cold air coming out your mouth when you're in their kitchen. That shows that, why does it need money? Because it isn't being financed. It's not. What happens is the chapel require certain things to be done, let's say repairs, immediate repairs, to ensure that the masses can go ahead, let's say. They need to pay that money back, which means they're in debt. They're in debt. And what happens is we get into scenarios where um, priests are to- so dedicated to it that they go without. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. They actually go without, Tony, and that's what's happened here. So thanks for raising that, Danny. I think that was maybe my view a few weeks ago. Um, but having spoken to uh, Can and Tom down at uh, down at St. Mary's, I know that's certainly not the case. They, didn't, they don't get the bailout. They don't get the bailout, Tony. But I think I'm going to bring this right up to date by telling you that... Uh, we have now raised, we collectively, not Axon, we as a, a community of Celtic fans have raised £16,545. Now that is after one day. It's without the auction. We've got an auction that we're going to start running as well tomorrow. And we're going to push it on the social media uh, channels and we're going to push it on Axon all week, Tony. There's about 30 items, maybe more, that we're going to be auctioning off. Loads of great signed goods. So it looks at this time, and I'm not counting any chickens, that we might be up in the regions about £20,000 for St Mary's. Astonishing achievement by everybody involved. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved uh, throughout the day. If at any point I look as though I'm looking at my phone, it's because I'm setting up the next stream. <laughs> but I'll do it when Tony's on a, on a roll when he's explaining something. Please... What do you want to ask us? Ask us some questions. I've got loads of stuff here I want to talk about, but I want to throw it out. I want to throw it out to you guys and girls that are commenting. Uh, please uh, ask us anything you want about Axon, about Celtic, about music, anything you want, and uh, we will certainly, we will certainly do our utmost to answer the questions. I've got to say, I don't really get involved in any twos and fro's, Tony, with any um, imposters on the, the comments field. I don't tend to do that. Uh, but anybody who's spending their Saturday night coming on a charity stream to try and troll Celtic and the support, come on, man. Yeah, it's beyond words. 
man, we're, we're raising cash here and and people that are coming on, just call them out in the comment section. We'll get them blocked because uh, there is something missing in your lives. Really, there really is something missing there, Tony. Um, and by the way, I'm not tarring everybody with the same brush. We've had loads of people who consistently come into the comment section who don't support Celtic and they're civil and they come in and they make great points and we can engage with them and it's absolutely fine. I, I welcome that part of the comment section at Axel and some of the, the nicest DMs I've had are from supporters of other football clubs who have took their time out to get in touch and say they liked something you said or they agreed with something and you know, and if they don't support Celtic, that I think that's a wonderful thing that they they, they clearly love football, which yourself and myself do. And it doesn't matter. I've said before, the colour of your scarf or jersey is irrelevant. You want to engage and talk football, we'll do that all day. I'm like yourself, I don't choose to engage with trolls. I think it's a waste of human emotion and it's something that you don't need in your life but I'll willingly engage with anybody who wants to talk football and who wants to talk about their particular support for a particular club because I love football uh, yeah I'm a Celtic supporter that's fair enough I've never ever had that but I'm also a football supporter and uh, I can speak about lots of other football related topics other than Celtic just so happens that Celtic's my team of choice, but I I, uh, I can engage with anyone, as you say, if they're civil, because I'll respect them if they respect me. Absolutely. Some of these comments are tremendous, Tony, that are coming in. Um, so that's us covered the trolling ones. Let's have a look at some of the positive ones. I'm just going to read them out because a lot of them are not questions, but I'm going to bring them up anyway. Owen McGrandall's Bullseye then Scottsport. I mean, yeah. just with, with those three words, you are taking us back, Owen. <coughs> uh, to a time, yeah, a more innocent time. Let's be honest, Tony. I, well, but you, everybody looks back on a time growing up with the, I'll say the green tinted glasses, I suppose, because people say that's what I have, or rose tinted glasses. But, you know, I was talking about we Scott Sport on Saturday night after Starsky Hucks, that kind of thing, you know. People can immediately transport themselves back to that. You know, I was, I watched that in my grand's flat, watched the 1980 Scottish Cup final in my grand's flat and got worried that my father was caught up in the aftermath, the Hamden riot, and that it really did affect me. And until he walked through the door, I was I was really upset as a kid. You know, I was, I'd be seven, eight years old. I, I remember my dad leaving my grand's flat to go to the 4-2, 10 men won the league game. Mm-hmm. And it's the one and only time I've gripped onto his leg as he was going down the stairs and I was squealing blue murder to go. But because I was only, I was I was six, seven, he didn't take me because he felt I'd be too young for a game of that magnitude. And it's only in hindsight later on, as the years went on, he said he wishes I'd been there to experience the 10 men won the league game yep. because he it's uh, up there in his top three of Celtic games ever, you know, and, and as I was saying earlier, he presses a Polaroid in his mind and he'll tell me all about that night. There was no footage of it. There was a TV strike. There's that kind of footage that Celtic show now and again, but 
you know, the lens cap was left on and you can, it's grainy and it's, you know, and and it's only if you were there can you get the kind of excitement and the passion and the, the old jungle. And that's that's in my list of games I wish I'd, I'd been at. What's your memories of the jungle? Memories of the jungle, what? You know what? I graduated from the main stand to number two in the old Celtic end. And then my pals would go on the Celtic supporters bus, the Kilbride bus that left from East Kilbride. And I, you know that way, I get that paranoid that my father could see me from number two in the Celtic end. And so every time I went into the jungle, I would try and hide. And my pals are like, if your dad can spot you in the jungle from number two in the Celtic end, you know, he's a whiz. You know, <laughs> and that's that's how paranoid I got about it all. But yeah, I, I, the jungle was just, it's a, it's become a mythical place now, hasn't it? It has. You know, everybody has a tale of the jungle and, you know... Remember the book, Jungle Tales? Yeah. And uh, just fond memories of that. You know, the the, the TV gantry was above it, wasn't it? Yeah. Many a a journalist like myself now get ritually slaughtered doing that kind of TFI Friday walk (laughs) across the the gantry. And guys like Archie McPherson, Jock Brown and Arthur Monford, they got dogs abuse you know and uh, it was a an unforgiving place but it was uh, oh there was the wow factor to the jungle wasn't it because that's when that's where real men went to watch their football that's real men supported football the guys that could go as you say on a bus and drink for Scotland you know just the the alcohol consumption was frightening but you you kind of as a kid you sort of admired it probably for all the wrong reasons but you just thought these are real guys who did 12 hour shifts you know straight on their supporters bus <laughs> oh, and, and you know and could hold court with brilliant raconteurs were great comedians you know funny funny men and I, from a, a very young age I was always an adult company and I loved it I was just the and your ears, my ears were open. So I like to think that I learned a lot. I took a lot in. I was a sponge. I just kind of absorbed a lot. And guys would say things and you wouldn't understand, but in your mind it was funny, so you would laugh. But they'd be telling jokes that, you know, you didn't get the punchline, but it didn't matter. You just thought, this guy looks funny, he speaks funny, or he, you know, he tells a tale funny, that kind of thing. So... My life was always surrounded by these kind of guys because my dad ran a highly successful amateur football team. You know, and to me, my dad was the greatest manager in the world. My dad was up there with Clough and Steen and Shankly because I'd hear him in the dressing room talking to these guys and moulding that team. And you talk about Brendan Rodgers' Invincibles. I watched my dad's team for 10 years and I could count on the one hand the amount of times they lost. Well, they were just brilliant amateur football team and they all came from Brickton, Domanlick area, Glasgow and they were all Celtic or Rangers supporters and my dad never entertained any kind of nonsense you were at their, their, their motto was commitment so you talk about commitment to a cause and I was in a dressing room with, I would be 7, 8, 9 and these guys would be like 19, 20, 21 my dad would be, I don't know I can't remember how old, how many. Well, my dad's what, 
23 years older than me, so my dad had been in his early 30s. And my dad was holding court and he was giving these speeches which are chilling in your mind, you know, and telling people and, you know, they were beaten all on Sunday. And it, it, to me, that was just a fascinating world, right? And when when they were not playing on a Saturday, we would go and watch Celtic, you know. And but So I was immersed in football from a very early age. And I was in a dressing room as well. And so you got that humour from real, real men, as I called them. I was just a wee guy, so these were real men. And, you know, you got the humour and you got the an idea of what it was like to work all week and then have that release as a footballer, as a player or a spectator or whatever, you know. And it's a, it's a brilliant grounding for me in terms of my, my love affair with football. You know what I think is incredible is we talk about a bygone day mm. of the jungle. And I've spoken again about my memories of the jungle. I always remember the first time my dad took me in. It was a New Year's Day game when uh, Rangers beat us 3-1 and Tony Mowbray scored a header. And yeah. It was bucket in the rain that day. So much so that by the time we got in the stadium, we were drenched. I mean, drenched through. Your, your woolen scarf was about three stone in weight around your neck. I remember going like that, throwing it over my neck, and it hit somebody right off the face. <laughs> Tears we man, you know, one of them. And it was like, once we went into the jungle, it was um, the body heat. Yeah. But it was also the fact that everybody very slowly is drying out and it was that smell as well. Everybody <laughs> with their damp clothes and the, the rain and all that. And then the stench of the drink and, you know, that um, undeniable smell of urine as well that used to, like, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, make its way down the front. But, I mean, we, we are romantics because that was vile, man. It was vile, but yeah. we look back fondly on it. Of course. I, I remember being in the jungle and I think, I think it was the centenary team Sure it was. However, and I think uh, Chris Morris failed to find Joe Miller with a pass and I've just let rip and I went, oh, Chris, give it to Joe Miller. He'd hundreds of space, man, right? <laughs> Some guy just went like that to me, looked outside and went, space, man? <laughs> <laughs> and all, all around him just creased herself laughing and then he was like, Who's the space man? <laughs> she was like, I was like, oh, it's me. And the guy was like, right, you know, and, and so it was your turn to get a ribbon for just shouting something so stupid. Right? And, but I loved all that. I was just like, great. That, you, you felt accepted then if you kind of, you were the butt of jokes. It was like, right, okay, fine. You know, it would be somebody else's turn next. Or if one of your pals tried to start a song, and like it was only him that was singing, and then the next thing you get solo, solo, so <laughs> you know, and you get you know, the mortified, you go all red and stuff like that. So, that, stuff like that was brilliant. And the jungle was full of guys like that, Saturday Sannies, as my dad would call them. You know, just you, you, you didn't know where they went during the week, but they would just appear in the jungle and they would hold court and they were brilliant, you know, and you, and you lapped it up, you, you couldn't get enough of these guys, you know, and they. They were the. It just seemed to be a font of knowledge, probably absolute nonsense and gibberish they were talking. But they pulled it off with aplomb and, and yeah, confidence. That that Glasgow gallusness that Bertie Old spoke about. That's right? exactly who came to my mind when you were like, telling me that. You know, Bertie, that kind of who can they play? You know, and they you know, let's sing the Celtic song. I held that. You know, guys like that. You know, and. You would always know them because they were the ones whose whose pals were holding, hanging on to their every word 
would laugh when they were meant to laugh, you know, short of standing there holding cue cards, <laughs> applause, gentlemen, laugh now. And, and, and guys like that fascinated me always because you could always pick them out. Say, but that humour, that humour ended up on stages, Tony. Yeah. You know, that the, the comedians. That, that, uh, this kind of precursor to, Billy Connolly speaks about these guys yep. all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the guys that were funny in the shipyards. You know, these guys who knew tough, tough times. We had that gallows humour. And at the football on a Saturday, they were the main man. Their pals respected them. They looked up to them. You know, was, my dad used to say, you know, that last shop steward's finest hour. You know, power of the people, Love that. strike lads, that kind of stuff. And I'll lead you. Like, you know, trust me. You know, your life and our trusts in my hands, that kind of stuff. You know, football was full of those guys. You know, really brilliant orators, joke tellers, storytellers. You know, guys with real knowledge and wisdom. And I, even people like that came along. I, I just tend to listen. No. I've been listening to you, Tony, so I think you've got a wee bit of that yourself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. It's made its way. And one last thing before we, we go and wrap this show up, because Waiting in the Wings is the unrestricted view, um, and they will be taking over for the last hour. I just want to thank everybody again for taking us up to 16,900 and 10 quid we're 90 pounds off 17 grand that's unbelievable honestly incredible I'm not just saying any of this one last thing to think about so I remember listening to an interview um, on a very early Celtic podcast that was called Desert Island Tims (laughs) you can imagine the premise brilliant show love it I absolutely love that show Uh, and there was a, a gentleman called Tom Minogue who's from Fife, um, and he was the guest on Desert. And he spoke, Tony, about a time when the first time you seen those green and white hoops in Technicolor was when you went to the game. Just let that sink in. That's incredible. We've got everything at our fingertips. You know, every second of the day, you had to go to the game to see the resplendent white and green on the Celtic yeah. jersey. Absolutely, I love that uh, from Tom and Ogan. I wonder if uh, Desert Island Tim's is still out there because I love that podcast. I want to thank everybody. You've made this a success. We're almost at 17 grand. Let's see if we can push through 17 and we'll be back tomorrow on a Celtic state of mind. Thank you, Tony Haggerty. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. 
Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EZ to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data q3 2022 and cox serviceable areas visit cox.com internet for details Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.